0: Doing one of the things your company is doing is you'll go in to an employer and and say, "Look, this is what you're paying for healthcare right now with a traditional healthcare provider." We'll actually come in and show you how you can build the network, manage it yourself, or maybe you manage it, um, and, and and this is how it, how
1: much it will benefit your company. The interesting thing is. Before the HIPAA or privacy and security rules we had in 95 and 96, most major companies built their own networks in the 70s, 80s and 90s. For those of us, I'm, you know, going to be 50 in a couple of weeks. Those of us who are older, right? Remember those days because I was in college in those days. You working, should speak
0: for yourself Dutch on that, but go ahead.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you look much younger than me. And so, no. you, you, and so when you talk to legacy people, we, we spent some time with General Electric, they were like, Oh yeah we used to do all this ourselves we don't like the carriers we want to go back to the old model and so all i'm saying is let's go back to the old model americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so this is american potential and here's your host jeff crank
0: all right thanks for joining us for another episode of american potential you know one of the things we've talked a lot about on this show is healthcare and why we need to reform healthcare, make it more patient-focused. And let me ask you, when someone looks at a system and sees that it's just not working, if they care about fixing that system, they take the time to figure out how it works and how to fix it or to replace it. And the healthcare industry can be very overwhelming to navigate for everyday ordinary people while they are trying to work and take care of their family. Being on a phone call with the insurance company for an hour or so trying to figure out what the issue is just doesn't usually work for people in their schedules. You know, push one if you're calling about claims, push two if you're calling about benefits, all the while screaming, representative, right? Get me a person. Uh, Guessing what the final bill will be after a doctor's visit or having a procedure done can put a strain on the family budget. And we see healthcare from the personal side, but what are some of the barriers that businesses face when offering healthcare to their employees? Well, today's guest started down the path of looking at how to make healthcare more affordable when he had a conversation with some business owners. They took the time and explained why providing healthcare for their employees was costing their business so much. So he started to figure out a way to bring those costs down. And on today's show, I want to welcome Dutch Rojas, who is the founder of, of uh, Sano Surgery. Dutch, thanks for being with us. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. I love that intro. Whoever wrote that, that was magic. That was <laughs> well, truly magic. I'm, I'm out of my mind about it.
0: That's good. Well, that's great to hear that. Mostly it's Monica. I do a few tweaks here and here, but I have to give all the credit <laughs> to Monica for that. Well, um, she's pretty wonderful. She is. So, uh, first of all, you're from the Netherlands, I understand,
1: yes? Yeah, I've been in Nederlander, Ben hier Yeah, I came here in <laughs> 1993 to go okay. to, uh, I think, the greatest undergraduate school in the country called Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah, okay. And uh, w- what, what a testament. I mean, people ask me all the time, why do you love this country so much? And I'm like, well, if you come from somewhere else, I promise you, when you land on these shores, and you begin to understand the power of capitalism and independence, you will love it here too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, I get asked that all the time. I've had people tell me, oh, I don't know if America's as great as it once was, or if it's still a great country. And I say, you know what, tell that to the, to the millions of people pouring across to get here every day, because I think they actually would disagree with you. I think it is a pretty special My- place.
1: My grandparents came from Mexico on my father's side. My father decided to work for an oil and gas company. He moved to the Netherlands to be an engineer for a gas company, oh. and he met my mother. They stayed and I couldn't get to the US fast enough. <laughs> this is truly a I mean, I've been I've worked all over the world. This is this is the country to be in.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. So your background though, it it's not in the medical field. So how'd you get into being an entrepreneur in healthcare? That's got to be an interesting path.
1: What a great, what a great question. Um, (laughs) To make a very long story short, um, I went, ORU sends everybody on mission trips, right? It's a Protestant school. Um, I went on a mission trip in 96 and ended up on a medical mission. And how fantastic of an experience was it for a young accounting student who was uh, afraid of blood and decided, you know, how do you help people? Get access to affordable care. Well, that's when the journey started. I mean, I saw it. Oral, in his vision, wanted to build, you know, the largest hospital for all Catholics and Protestants in the world. Then, of course, you're on a medical mission. Uh, I think it will make the strongest man weep to watch thousands of people queue up, mostly mothers and their children in foreign countries. We, were, we, we did it in Nicaragua, Guyana, and Costa Rica. And watching literally thousands of people queue up to get the medical care they needed, very basic medical care that everyone here in this country gets, Um, they they had to stand in line. And we spent two weeks there. And I think it changed my life forever. I realized my goal and my mission was, how do I as an accountant get involved? What can I do? I mean, I know that I have a skill set and I don't want to be a physician, but what can I do? And so I just kind of said, you know, I want to serve, and here I am. It was pretty great. Yeah. So, so as you were experiencing that, what were some
0: of the issues that you were seeing in healthcare?
1: Well, of course, accessibility, right? We talk about mm-hmm. affordability all the time. Like you mentioned it in your opening dialogue, there's no prices, right? There's fees for things, and, and that's a really important matter, right? It's like you call someone and you say, "I need a colonoscopy," right? My primary care doctor says, you call." Colon- well, we can give you the fee for the doctor. We can give you the fee for the pathology. We can give you the fee for the facilities use. I remember the first time I had this conversation, I thought, "What is the fa- what does that got to do with anything?" Like, hey, I just want a price. I want to <laughs> give you money, and I right. want you to take me on as a patient. And that, you know, that was a challenge. And then, of course, um, I think in South and Central America, in many parts of this great country. It's still a problem for people just to get access to basic care. And when you see cleft lips, when you see undiagnosed, like really small issues that you and I could solve for $50 or $100, you realize like the message needs to get out that care can be affordable and accessible and that there are solutions and we need to deploy them. And we need to deploy them today to help as many people as possible. So, so what do you what do you
0: see right now as some of the biggest barriers to healthcare delivery in the United States?
1: What a great question that is. So big, <laughs> it's, a big it's a big one. It's a big one. What are the biggest barriers? Well, one, I, I am on a mission, um, and I would say there are tens of thousands of people like me that are on a mission um, to make healthcare affordable, and accessible. But I want to do it for the whole world, right? Like I've lived in Singapore. I've mm-hmm. lived in other parts of Asia. I've lived in the Middle East, which I you know, loved but didn't enjoy at the time. Um, I lived all over Europe in three countries and now get to live here. And so when I talk about solutions for affordable and accessible care, I'm not just really talking about the U.S. I'm talking about everywhere. So n- number one issue is I think that most countries are on the defensive, and I think they need to get on the offensive. If you talk to any surgeon in this country, they will readily tell you, and you've had this experience. They'll say, I am the best. Jeff, I'm the best at this. And then you say, Well, I just wanted to try the guy down the street, and they go, That's guy's junk. (laughs) And and I love that competitive attitude. There is more than $15 trillion of planned scheduled procedures in this globe. Right? Our GDP is just a little higher than that, like to add to the global GDP. Mm -hmm. And so it's my firm belief. That if countries like the United States decided to actually attract new patients, have the best healthcare system in the country, then we could attract people from all over the world, and we could be the central hub for the entire globe, which would be amazing. Mm -hmm. So while that's not a barrier, it's the mindset. Everybody looks at healthcare as a cost center. Well, it costs so much money, it costs this, it costs that. The number one, the number one challenge, I think, with healthcare. Is the federal government number two challenges carriers and number three challenges health systems? And the reason that they are is because the regulatory capture that works in those three industries is massive. In other words, I'm a BUCA Blue Cross United Signa Aetna, I create a super PAC and I donate. And what they do is between pharma, health, uh, health systems, and device. They give somewhere north of $600 million to our lawmakers. Wow. And so when you think about the impact of that, right, they're actually writing the laws, mm-hmm. right? So we know, like during President Obama's term, we know that Epic, the EMR company, created and drafted the laws for high tech, which is what created the meaningful use process and the transition from paper to EMR. Well, they were the winner ultimately. We see that. I'm not just picking on Epic. I'm saying like we see that everywhere. When you want to write a new GLP-1 drug, the very famous drug now for weight loss that everybody's on Ozempic, uh, I don't know, there's a bunch of them. Monjuro. What happens is those guys wrote the laws for that, and now everybody's paying a thousand dollars a month to learn how to lose weight. Yeah. Right. And so regulatory capture is a massive problem. And then I'd say secondary, Secondary, we don't have competition. We have lots of people participating, but they believe that third parties are paying for this. That belief is completely wrong. We, the people, are the payers. Whether mm-hmm. you pay into Medicare or whether you pay into your work or whether you pay some other way, you're the ultimate payer. But the health systems think Blue Cross, United, Cigna, Aetna is the payer. I don't believe that. I think, Jeff, you're the payer. Mm -hmm. You get to decide where your money goes. Mm -hmm. And so we've got 160 million people on employee benefits, 90 million of which are on high deductible health plans. That's where we're making all the inroads. Because if you have a high deductible, let's say it's called $5,800 on Mm -hmm. average, everything under $5,800 is now something that people can get around. Right? They go, well, I need an MRI or I need an X-ray or I need a colonoscopy or I need PT. Well, you're paying cash. Your benefits aren't kicking in. right? I mean, the average the average person paying a premium of $1,200 a month add up 12 times 12, right? And then now all of a sudden you got a deductible too. So you're in the whole $18,000 before you see a dollar coverage. Mm-hmm. Well, then tell me that the cash pay market's not going to be made available. I'm trying to convince, well, there's a lot of us, trying to convince more physicians that the more transparent they are, that the more competition we'll have and the more competition we have, the higher the quality of the outcomes will be for the treatments they render and the lower the prices are going to be. See, in today's world, really high quality docs don't make all the money, right? There's an even distribution. If you're a terrible physician in this country, you are terrible and you know you're terrible. You're making as much money as the best guy. Hmm. And the reason for that is because the federal government, right? We We have federal government rules and we have state laws. And they do things like Medicare pays, let's say, let's say you needed a treatment like an epidural steroid injection spine treatment in your back. If you're on Medicare, Medicare pays you and your health system where you went three to five times as much as they pay a private practice doctor. Why hmm. is that? Doesn't make any sense. Regulatory capture, right? It goes back to the fact that these large health systems and the governments like are impeding competition. Mm -hmm. And so I think the answer is and has always been the market capitalist approach, which is generate transparent prices and have fair competition. And I think when you have fair competition, the winners win and the losers die off. And that's the way our country was founded. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Sorry for the long winded answer. It's just, there's so much in that. It's like, wow, what do you say? Yeah. Well,
0: and you you talked about the federal government being one of the biggest problems in the healthcare uh, industry in the United States, and I think that's true. Government's good at picking winners and losers. Uh, the problem is, that's right. uh, you know, other people suffer from who who the government picks as winners and losers, and that's that's really a problem. You know, we talk about these reimbursement rates for for Medicaid or Medicare. And uh, the government seems to be able to think that they can just kind of snap their fingers and say they'll pay a certain amount for a procedure and that that's a reasonable amount that the market will bear. The market should make those decisions rather than government in, in your mind,
1: right? Yes. Well, I think, um, I think there's a large population of government bureaucrats that don't believe in the invisible hand. They look around the United States and they mm. wonder, how did all these cars appear? Where did the computer business come from? How did all this industry happen without us deciding? I think, you know, there's a very famous uh, quote, and it's basically a conversation uh, between Mikhail Gorbachev and some leader in the West, I don't remember. And he says something like, you know, how do you do, how do you feed these tens of millions of people here in the UK and Europe? You know, the leaders basically were like prices, you know, it blew his mind. He like didn't understand. <laughs> and then they asked him, well, how do you do it? And he's like, well, we have central planning meetings every week. And you think about it, you're like, well, ha- what? But yes. like, he believed it because he grew up that way. Like, we're going to give away this many pounds of rice and this many pounds of beans. And then right. we're sure. going to do it like that doesn't work. And in healthcare, because we don't have price signals. I mean, like, um, um, you know, here's a here's the federal government. Hi, I'm a chef. I'd like to open a restaurant, right? That's typical. And anybody's generally allowed to do that as long as you meet the health and safety rules. If you're a lawyer and you say, I want to open a practice, I want to hang my shingle, as long as you pass the bar and you did things to become a lawyer, then you can do that. Uh, in 2010, the federal government decided that physicians couldn't own hospitals anymore. Now, you ask 99% of Americans if they understand this law. They have no idea. Like they, they, they're like, what? Where did that come from? What do you mean physicians can't own hospitals? In fact, the federal government decided with the American Hospital Association that it's better if private equity, hedge funds, and carriers own hospitals than it is for physicians. Now, all of the data in the entire world, I mean, there's no dispute, right? Like this is like gravity and oxygen. These are these are just facts. Right? That physician-led care exceeds any any care provided by an insurance person, you know, an MBA, uh, hedge fund or private equity. I'm not saying those people are bad people, but not at all. I'm just saying like, who's the right person? Do right. you really want a barber to run your restaurant? Like that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I, I don't want someone who cuts hair to run my restaurant. I want a great chef to give me a meal so that I can go out on my anniversary. Right. And so the United States government has seen itself just like, put itself into these situations where meaningfully it doesn't matter. Now there's a, there's an opportunity to undo that bill. Um, the Americans for prosperity are working on it. Other associations are working on it. And we think it might get through by October. Rural care needs a lot of help. What's mm-hmm. happening is the large health systems, right? Cause they're, they're run by private equity and hedge funds and wall street in general. They'll buy hospitals in rural locations. And then they'll take the specialty docs out, move them to the bigger cities because they can get more money for those. Hmm. See, that, that makes sense if you're a business person. Like if I was a business guy, I'd go, well, that makes sense. I'll do it. But I'm a I'm a healthcare guy. So they go, wait a minute, we've removed access. Like that can't work. And so as you look at the federal government and then state governments, I think you and I have had this conversation before. Certificate of need laws exist in 33 states in Washington, mm-hmm. DC. Or right. essentially, back to the restaurant example. If I'm a chef, I have to go to all the other restaurants in my city and say, may I please, sir, could, would you find it in your heart to let me open a restaurant because I <laughs> want to make money too? And right. they can all go, no. Right. So I was living in New York City, where I lived for a very long time, and we wanted to open a new surgical hospital. So we had to ask Lenox Hill, NYU Langone, and a whole bunch of others, right? And they told us basically like, kiss rocks, pal. We're never going to let you compete with us. And the carriers didn't want to do it either. Empire, Blue Cross for Shield there, runs the show. And so it's like, well, they're like, well, we already had that. Why would we want competition? Because we don't really want to lower premiums. See, you got all these physicians that run to, to insurance companies and say, hey, I'm really good at this. I've, in- I've done the engineering to make sure that the procedures um, are more high quality outcomes and they're lower priced. But what they don't understand is that carriers aren't incentivized to do that. Carriers are 100% incentivized to make more money. Right? And so they're, they're not bad people either, but they're officers of a business have a fiduciary obligation to their company. right? And that fiduciary obligation says, make more money. And people will say, well, you know, they're really good hearted and they want to help. And I go, show me how in the last 10 years that premiums have gone down ever. Right. It doesn't. It's never happened. It's never right. happened. Right. So you've got you've got a ton of institutions that their incentives, even the nonprofits and not for profits, all of them are incentivized to increase revenue, increase profits more, 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 which means extraction out of the average American family. And today, that's not a good idea. What our solutions that we proposed, we talked about. I sold our business or it was acquired last year. The whole thing was get rid of deductibles, get rid of co-pays, get rid of co-insurances, make it easy for people to see a physician, get them in right away. Those are the types of solutions. not just me now. I mean, it was me 12 years ago by myself. There's 147 companies that now do what what I started. And so I want more competition, right? right? We started building a marketplace where like think Amazon, where you can go on there and your doctor says you need a lab test. The average comprehensive metabolic panel, the average paid claim in the United States is $144. We sell it for 8 Wow. People say, why would you do that? And I go, the same reason Costco says that their margins are capped at 11%. Like the CEO of Costco says, I could do whatever I want, but I'm not going to because I love Americans and I love families and I want to help people. So why would I charge more than $8? I make a dollar off the 8 bucks. Like that's really good we consume 2 billion of them a year in the United States. Like I'm happy to make a billion dollars. I, I really am. I'm not, you know, right. I'm not going to, but it's just a matter of like, how do you get competition in? I want 10,000 marketplaces like that.
0: And and what you're I, I saying is more capitalism. Yeah. You're saying Dutch though, that the way the system is built right now, we don't, we don't have that competition, right? There's the, these are structural barriers. And, and the example yes. you used is a great one because it's a structural barrier to us actually even having competition because we have built it around insurance companies, talking to physicians and who's in network and who's out
1: of network. And all of that is a, is actually a barrier. Yes. And the one saving grace we have, are you ready? Because this is the whole point is that self-insured employers, there's about 90% of people with more than a hundred employees are self- insured which when you use your brain, you ought to just think they're essentially cash pay. They mm-hmm. may use a carrier to build their in and out of network model, right? So that somebody has a card and says, yeah, here's my insurance coverage. But essentially at the end of the day, the employer's paying all the payments themselves. Like mm-hmm. the treatment invoices come in and the, the employer pays. So certainly every large company does this. What we've convinced a whole bunch of them of is that they have a fiduciary obligation to plan assets. And this is the most wonderful language ever, right? It's this old kind of English corporate model or corporate language that you read that you go, wow, I wish people still wrote like that. But here's what it says, is that you have a duty of loyalty and you have a duty of accountability. And the duty of loyalty and the duty of accountability say to a self-insured employer, think Amazon, Facebook, Comcast, Boeing, like the biggest names, plus... You know, small, medium businesses. What that means is that they have to know the prices of every procedure and test they pay for. And they have to ensure that they're getting the best prices. So they can't and they're not doing business with carriers anymore. They're removing themselves out of doing business with Blue Cross United Signet. And they're saying, one, we'll either build the networks ourselves or two, they're doing what the company that acquired me is doing where we're building large full replacement networks for those companies and saying, Hey, look, we guarantee you're getting the best price. If You can get one lower, right? We'll make up the difference for you. Hmm. These are the things employers have to do because it's a legal obligation. Um, you, you can look it up and soak in the audience. Like massive number of lawsuits in the last two years. Where an employee said, "Hey, this is I'm an owner in this plan, right? Because you've essentially created your own insurance company, and you didn't do what you were supposed to do, Mister, you know HR person. Right? You guys are the fiduciaries in this plan. You're not doing what you're, so. Now we've got call it 75 million people that have a fiduciary obligation or are being held accountable to it. And I think in the next three years we're going to see a massive revival, a massive push." for that obligation to be fulfilled. And we're going to see an actual reduction in healthcare spend. Hmm. We can't, uh, we, we, I'll say one more thing. If we don't, if we don't, if you and I and all this conversation with all this, don't come to a solution by 2030, the spend will be close to $7 trillion, 6.8 to be exact. And we can't, like that, that can't happen. That's $32,000 out of every person's pocket. Yeah. Wow. Nobody has that kind of money. Nobody right. has that kind of money. Right. And, and people will say it's inelastic. Like I'm going to go to the doctor no matter what. And I go, not for 30 grand or not. Like that's over. It's yeah. done. So we, we, it's coming to a head and we have to come up with these solutions.
0: Right. So what your company is doing, one of the things your company is doing is you'll go in yeah. to an employer and, and say, look, this is what you're paying for healthcare right now. With a traditional healthcare provider, will actually come in and show you how you can build the network, manage it yourself, or maybe you manage it. Um, yes, both. and yep. and this is how it, how much it will benefit your company.
1: That's exactly right. Okay. Um, they they can so, so, you know history always repeats itself or does some function thereof. Right, and the interesting thing is before the HIPAA or privacy and security rules we had in '95 and '96. Most major companies built their own networks in the mm-hmm. 70s, 80s, and 90s. For those of us, I'm you know going to be 50 in a couple of weeks. Those of us who are older, right, remember those days because I was in college in those days. You working. should speak for yourself, Dutch, so, on that, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you look much younger than me. And, so <laughs> no. you, you, and, and, and you're more handsome. And so <laughs> you, you got this historical time period, which I read some book on nine or 10 years ago. And I thought, well, doggone it. Like, if I had read this in college, it made my life a lot easier. I didn't mm-hmm. know that people did this before uh, the HIPAA rules came out. And so when you talk to legacy people, we, we spent some time with General Electric. They were like, oh, yeah, we used to do all this ourselves. We don't like the carriers. We want to go back to the old model. And so all I'm saying is, let's go back to the old model. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to market-based capitalism because it works. Yeah. And we can well, cover think, a lot of people if we do it ourselves.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of business, um, you know, businesses out there, they they don't, they said, well, I, you know, I don't want to be in that. I'll just hire somebody to, to do it. And it sort of became the norm, the standard for most companies out there to just do this and let somebody, their HR department, you know, do it with someone else. So this is pretty intriguing Pretty intriguing idea. Are you finding success in doing that? Tell us some of the success stories. Oh,
1: not just success, but like massive amounts of success. Um, I don't think I'd be on the podcast talking about it if we hadn't had it because I'd be too nervous. I'd be like, well, we're still testing it. We don't know what we're (laughs) doing. Um, Yeah, we've had a massive amount of success. Uh, We're seeing people not only have um, decreases in the number of uh, uh, in, in the spend, but we're seeing people stay level. Right. And my whole goal is to say, I don't want 6.8. I, I'm not even comfortable with $4.2 trillion of spend, but goodness gracious, we are wrecking the average American family, right? The middle class, we're wrecking them with these policies and the way we do business. It doesn't hurt the upper class. And I don't have an issue with that. Um, but it does really hurt the middle income people the most because the lower income people will fight me on this, but generally have Medicaid. Or there are other things that the state will do for them to make sure that they're covered, right? We have charity care, we have this and that. But, you know, if you're the average family and you're making $72,000 between two parents, like you're getting zero help. And to, and to have the average premium be, you know, north of $15,000 a year, and then you're forced to buy it. It's not even, it, you know, the worst part is the federal government makes you pay. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, right. what if we didn't have an employer mandate? Anyways. I digress, but the point is yes, we're having immense amount of success. and you know if it's just a pass-through versus a profit center, what we found, because there's different models for different things, is that when GE's in charge of their own, um, and I'm just using a name arbitrarily, or when um, a large tech company's in charge of their own benefits, they just do it better. Mm-hmm. because their tr- their whole goal remember it's all on incentives, their incentive is to drive down utilization, drive down expenses, not to increase them. And so I think when you have the right incentives in place and you have these fiduciary obligations and everybody's on the same page, you're seeing that. On the, on the cash pay side or the small business side, we're finding lots of solutions as well. I think um, there's a return to the high deductible plan, even though that's not what the Affordable Care Act was intended for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but you're seeing a rise in cash pay markets. I think yesterday I talked to a couple startups and then last week I was in Los Angeles at UCLA, I talked to a couple startups and all of them are about, hey, can I put surgeries online? And they're starting to do it. And you're starting to see private practice doctors build e-commerce stores. You know, you think like you and I just think, well, that's just normal thinking. Mm-hmm. But for the physician population, right, there's roughly 950,000 that's just an incomprehensible thing. Like they they just can't at large wrap their minds around having a website, like a Shopify site and putting up like, to see me, it costs a hundred bucks. You know, to get an x-ray costs $40. Like they can't get their mind around it. But can you imagine if we had a hundred thousand doctors that did that? Wow. Yeah. That would shape the future of our health care. Like, I think, I think it would generate a, an amazing shift and we'd see mean reversion and all of a sudden the prices would drop precipitously. And that's what we want. We want high performing, high outcome physicians to win. And we want health systems who are taking all the sucking, all the money out of the system with the carriers. We want them to lose. Now I'm not anti-hospital at all. I've Mm -hmm. built hospitals, developed them, love them, but there's a place for them. And they're not, their current incentives are not aligned with the patient population or the population of physicians that exist in this country. They're, they're, they're almost anti-patient, anti physician.
0: Yeah. What, what if, so if we've got somebody listening to this podcast and they're, they're an individual, maybe, I mean, maybe we've got some business owners that are listening who think, man, this would be great. I, I might try this with my company, but what if you're, what if you're an employee? And you're just frustrated with healthcare. What can they do, you know, to to help drive innovation both with through their employer based plan or just in general? What can they do?
1: Well, I think listen, I'm all about patients and employees. I think there's two basic things they can do. Number one is they can, if they're on a high deductible healthcare plan, and most people are, right? And it might be supplemented with an HSA, but most companies don't fund them. Um, I would find the cash price right? If you need an x-ray, right? I I would call the radiology, the independent radiologist in your community. Here in Phoenix, we've got 60 of them around the corner, right? And so, it's like, we'll call one. And when you call them, they're going to tell you it's $35 to get a single image and it's $40 to get three. And so, that's going to be better than using your insurance benefits. I'm very pro patients take control of your own care. Now, if you're injured, Right, an emergency that's completely different. And just, just for listeners' sake, the United States consumes about 18 billion medical treatments and services a year, 15 billion of which are labs, right? 300 million of which are radiology appointments, you get a billion two physician consults. So there's a whole bunch of room where you can actually pay cash and, and, and pay a small amount and get a large amount of service. For the, the second thing I would encourage all employees to do, is I constantly encourage employees to have conversations with their HR department. What point solutions do you have that can help us? I cannot tell you over the, since I started the company in 2008, I can't tell you how many times, this is gonna sound like I'm a total weenie because I got my old Marine Corps picture behind me, but (laughs) how many times I've openly wept hearing a mom and dad say to me on the phone, your service saved us. We were going to bring, we brought our five-year-old in for a hernia repair and they told us it was $4,000 before they would help us. And I was going to call my mother and I was going to do this and this and this, right? Because you'll do anything for your kids. Right. And then we called HR and asked for help. And they said, oh, well, here's a benefit that you have. It's a no copay, no deductible benefit. Here's how it works. We got on the phone, right? With the doctor that's there and the medical assistant that was there. And we had it all done in 30 minutes. And so these are the kind of things that when you find employees who are motivated to help fix healthcare, right? We send them to the HR department. We say, listen, you got to put in 10 point solutions that really help the average American family. And here they are. Here's the 10 sign up for them, get them done. They don't cost you any money. There's no extra expense, right? They only, they only charge you when you use them. Right. And so I, yeah, I think, I think there's lots of the American population to do. The, You know, we're in Washington, D.C. every single month and, you know, constantly meeting with lawmakers and people say, how do you do it? And I say, well, you know, just an inch at a time. You're not, you know, the government's not designed to make, it's not innovative. It's not designed to make quick progress. Sure. And so write letters to your congressmen, write letters to your senators and get active. This is, I think this is the most, you know, the climate change people think their issue is big. I think that's nuts. I think that. Healthcare is the challenge of our lifetime. And I want to see it get fixed. I want to see the average person have affordable and accessible care. And this wow. is, I think, how you do it.
0: Yeah. Man, thanks for sharing your expertise. If folks wanted to know more kind of about you, or how how can they find out more about
1: what you're doing? Oh, listen, I'm on I'm totally on social media. If you can't <laughs> Google Dutch Rojas and find me, you got problems. <laughs> I mean, you know, I got an old dad that knows how to do it. So I'm I'm on uh, Twitter slash X, you know, I'm still in the Twitter thing. Yeah. And then uh, LinkedIn and we do videos. Uh, the company does our videos. We do social media, but like wherever we probably speak at 40 show, 40 trade shows a year, maybe more. Um, yeah. We, we just love talking about affordable and accessible care. So if someone wants to get old to me, that's the way to do it.
0: All right. Dutch, thanks for joining us. I appreciate your time and all the great work you've put into this, uh, this effort.
1: Jeff, thank you for having me. I
0: appreciate it. You got it. All right. Well, listen, again, talking about healthcare, we always come back to one conclusion. The federal government's involvement, government involvement in the process distorts the market. That's a bad thing. The people who are consuming healthcare aren't really uh, well equipped to be able to make the best decision for them because they don't have uh, 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 things at stake other than their health—they don't have the the pocketbook involved there as well. There's lots of reforms that can be made, uh, and it's great that Dutch is uh, continuing to 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 work on some great solutions uh, in the healthcare sector because, as he said, it is going to bite us as we continue down this road, and it's it's starting to hurt middle America and uh, you know medium income uh, the the middle class really starting to suffer because of healthcare costs. Look, liberty and freedom, they're taken for granted pretty easily. Don't take it for granted. Get out there, defend freedom and liberty. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.